0: Hi, I'm Michael Radigan uh, with my co host, Catherine Silverman. This is Three Cheers for Goaltender Interference. You can follow me at Mikey Rads. You can follow Kat at Kat M Silverman. You can follow the podcast Twitter at Three Cheers for Goal One with the number three and the number one. You can follow our producer, Maxwell Spar at Maxwell Sparr. You can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, Cat, I think I nailed it.
1: You did. Did you write it down?
0: No, no. I, I was like closing my eyes.
1: I'm really proud of you. That's that's incredible. I, know, was just... I was as you were going through it. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, he 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 wrote it all down. I'm I'm so proud. He actually wrote it down this week. Um, no. since I know you, you wanted to redeem yourself, um, and you did, which is even more impressive that you did it without, yeah. without any, without crib notes. That's, that's wonderful. I'm, you know, I'm why? So incredibly happy for you.
0: I'm a little panicked because as like, we just had a great interview and I thought I lost it. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> I'm very awake right now. That that was a nice jolt to the arm at, you know, 1.15 in the morning, East Coast time. So Uh yeah, anyway, why don't you tell us about uh the show we have today?
1: Yeah, so uh we have um we have a super cool guest. Um talk a little bit about what a little bit more about who he is and and what he's written recently, uh when we when we intro him uh for the interview itself. But we have Saad Youssef from The Athletic Dallas Fort Worth. He's their uh he's their general assignment writer, so that means that he does basically all of the sports. And I know he has a concentration uh, in this with the stars and the Dallas Mavericks. So basketball and hockey, um, but he's done stuff on football. He's done stuff on baseball. He's a, uh, he's helped out basically wherever they need it, which I think is, is super cool. Um, we don't get to talk to people like that on the show super often. Cause especially in, in the sports media world outside of the big names, like uh like Jamel Hill and, Stephen A Smith, God bless him. Uh outside of those bigger hosts names, you don't you don't see a lot of people who cover all of the sports anymore, you know, somebody's given a team to cover and that's that's what they do um and he gets to do all of them in Dallas, which I think is super neat. Um we've got a really cool show with him coming up. Uh but before we get to him, um I'd like to do a quick post-mortem moment of silence for uh, for the New York Islanders. Um, may they rest in peace um, for the 2019-2020 season. They have been eliminated from the playoffs. It is just the Tampa Bay Lightning left in the East now. Um, Mikey, how are you? How are you coping?
0: <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm so, I'm just so tired. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, good. It was, it was a really It was a really fun run. This is probably the best Islander team in my lifetime. Uh, I was born in 1990, and I've only really, they've been in the conference finals twice, once when I was three and once when I was 30. So this is really the best uh, conference final, uh, best (laughs) Islanders team I've ever gotten to witness. And honestly, uh, it was a good run. They made a lot of people on hockey Twitter mad throughout this playoffs because, uh, for whatever reason, people just like to rag on the Islanders. That's how it's been, you know, for decades. So um, that was cool. It was, it was, you know, it was, I was, I'm happy with it. I, you know, they, it was a really, it was a good run. And uh, it's nice to finally have real expectations for this team, uh, you know, last year they won a round, they swept the Penguins and then this year they went to the conference final. So, you know, there's, there's expect, there's expectations now within this fan base that, you know, this is, they should be in the playoffs and they should be contending, you know, from here on out with their coach and the core they have. Uh, yeah. And it, I don't know, it, it the lightning are a great team. I think sometimes people, I certainly sometimes forgot that they were like the best team regular season team ever last year right didn't they
1: yeah they were they were almost almost boringly good right like they yeah
0: they they they, had, they could have stopped playing in february last you know what i mean and yeah that's
1: uh, that's when they qualified for for the playoffs um yeah which is crazy because the coyotes beat them seven nothing in a game last year um yeah but no they they only lost like ten games last year, one of which was to the coyotes bafflingly enough, thanks Louie Duming. Um
0: yeah. and, so, and
1: then they got swept, which was delightfully weird. Um
0: then they come back, they add a couple you know, they add a couple pieces that, you know, did they need? Probably not, but it still makes it still made them good. It makes them good. You know, it rounds out their you know, their top nine forwards or whatever and their top six defensemen and they added those pieces and Vasilevsky is still a top three goalie in the league might be the best goalie in the league still. Uh, so, and, you know, they kind of just, they beat uh, the blue Jackets in five, they beat the Bruins in five and the Islanders pushed them to six. Uh, those last games, five and six, I went, went into overtime. It, it The Islanders just seemed gassed and like they were hanging on. Uh, and, you know, they lost a heartbreaker in game six. I thought maybe they'd, be able to force games to have a bit. Tampa's just good. There's just, they're the best team. There's a reason they're the best team. Uh, it's like every, every pass you watch, they make it just tape to tape. It's unbelievable. Uh, there's a lot of skill on that team, but you know, the Islanders pushed them to six, which was more than any other team has done so far. So uh, yeah, it's, it's what was really interesting to me is I think there's kind of this misconception about the Islanders that the team is just Barry Trotz, Matt Barzell, and then just, like, a bunch of, like, dudes who can't skate, which is, like, not really the case. Like, Brock Nelson is a good player. Anders Lee is a good player. Jordan Eberle is a good player. Josh Bailey is a good player. Anthony Beauvillier is a good player. Adam Pellick's a good player. Ryan is a good player. Varlamov is a good player. Thomas Grace is – like, they have a good team. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see what they do going to the offseason, like every other team – Uh, in terms of the flat cap and, you know, they're going to have to move money around like everyone else. So that will be interesting. But I think uh, the goal will be to add just another piece or two to their top nine, either internally with one of their young guys or take a stab at a one-year deal with someone and then, you know, run this thing back. And they also, they're adding the best KHL goalie, uh, Ilya Sorkin next year to tandem with Varlamov. So I think they're in good shape. I I think they'll be another playoff contender for at least the next couple years. So that um, overall, I'm actually not pissed about losing. I'm not mad. You can put in the newspaper that I'm not mad.
1: Not even mad. <laughs> I'm
0: not even mad. I'm actually laughing.
1: <laughs> not mad. I'm laughing. I'm not crying. I'm fine. No, no I yeah. think it's an outsider's perspective. I, I didn't really have the Islanders on my radar, not because I thought they were, like, they weren't the Montreal Canadiens, right? They weren't a team right. that I thought had no business being in the playoffs. Sure. Um, they were a playoff they,
0: team, but they weren't, like, a dark horse like other teams. They team, weren't like- a
1: marquee team, right? Like, they sure. didn't have, you mentioned all those guys. You talk about Josh Bailey, Jordan Eberle, uh, Ryan Pulak, um, Anders Lee, Brock Nelson. I always forget about Brock Nelson, who's He's fun. Learned- like, he's I one
0: think of the he's best. Great. He's one of the best number two centers in the league. Like when it come, like he's, he's great. <laughs> he's very good. And I and forget he's a, about he's,
1: him. All the he's time. a troll
0: too. Like he's good at like he's sneakily good at agitating. Like uh, he'll he? he'll throw like a stick, you know, to the midsection every now and then, which is always fun to watch. When
1: That's you watch great because he seems yeah. super quiet and yeah, and I guess so that gets laid Shadowed by they. They also they still have Cal Clutterbuck, right? And I mean yeah. he's he's a role player but he's he fun to a, watch
0: yeah he plays on that fourth line with Casey Sezikis and Matt Martin it's a very good defensive fourth line that is like they're that's very a line good that's
1: under your skin
0: yeah that's a good fourth line they don't you know give up a ton of chances you know they they keep they're great at shots suppression so uh and they're great all those guys, uh Cal Clutterbuck and Casey Ziggas are huge uh penalty killers for them. And he's yeah, he's a great role player too. So yeah, they he's got not
1: just, he's not just a good role player though. I think uh, like if I had to name my favorite player on the Islanders, um it's it's probably Cal Clutterbuck because What a name if we wanna if yeah. The name's amazing. Um just the the style of play. Oh. Outside of his actual hockey skill, the way he yaps at other guys, you see his mouth moving out there 24-7. And it's exaggerated by that crazy-ass mustache.
0: He chirps everyone and anyone. That's why, like... And
1: he's amazing at it. He makes guys so mad. You can see their faces. Like, they just turned so red. I don't know whose sister he's talking about. I don't know whose mom he's <laughs> talking about. I don't know if he's talking about their underwear showing, if he's telling them they have, like, they have acne behind their ears. Like, I don't know what creative insults he's coming up with. Because guys have heard all all the usual stuff. Like, they're yeah, of course. they're used to it. They brush it off. And, like, he still manages to make guys mad. So I'd, I'd love to have him mic'd up for a game, which means it'll never happen. No, it'll but never. But I yeah, love him. I think he's yeah. fantastic. And... I, but I I always forget, you know, you that's a that's a laundry list of names that are good. They're good legitimate they're not, NHL players. They don't have anyone right. on that team. I think that you look at and you're like, that guy shouldn't be in the National Hockey League. Like, What's he doing here? They yeah. they're all good. Yeah, we well, just we have,
2: we they got
0: uh, JG Pajo too from Ottawa. Like he's I another guy. Forgot
1: they got him. <laughs>
0: yeah, who was it was great this playoffs and like he's he's locked up with the team so. Yeah, you're right. They don't have, like, the marquee superstar. I'd say Barzell is probably a borderline superstar. He's incredibly exciting to watch and one of the best skaters in the league. But also um, a
1: little bit of a troll.
0: Oh, he's, he's yeah, absolutely. It's great. They've got a couple uh, of
1: trolls on that team. <laughs> yeah,
0: they're very, I mean, the thing they have, I think Barry Trotz is obviously, like, a top, one of, if not the best coach in the league, just because, uh, He's, he's gotten them all to buy into the team first mentality and all that and playing for each other and, you know, important. I know people will roll over their eyes, but intangibles and things like that, but it's it's showing results. Uh, their biggest need is going to be a guy for the power play, like a trigger man that can score some goals, that, which I feel like uh, I don't know. Maybe there'll be some guys out there like a Mike Hoffman type guy. If he's not doesn't come too expensive, but we'll, we'll see what happens. It'll be an interesting offseason.
1: I think it's going to be fun. Um, that's that's the team that I don't think they get nearly enough attention. Um,
0: no, they're they're the little brother. T- they've always been the little brother team, just in New York City. But when you when it's all said and done, besides the Yankees, right now they're the most successful sports franchise in New York, like in the New York City area. So I never thought I'd say that <laughs> my entire <laughs> life. So that's pretty cool. So right now I'll take it. Um, that's-
1: that's fair. That's that's yeah. good though, because especially when you look at the the breakdown of sports fandom in New York, and there are obviously people that that deviate from from the norm there. But it seems like for for the most part, everyone that I knew when I was you know when I lived in New York was you were either uh, Yankees, Giants, Rangers, or you were yeah. Mets, Jets, Islanders.
0: Yeah. So and
1: being I... like the trifecta of Mets, Jets, and Islanders, like that's a that existence as a sports fan.
0: That's so tragic. <laughs> I thank God every day that I am not that. I'm the weird, uh, the weird, Your Islanders,
1: like, Yankees, Ge- Giants, right? Giants, and then every,
0: everyone's a Knicks fan in New York, so like everyone reaches the Knicks. That's the one team that everyone kind of rallies nuts. around.
1: Nobody cares, on them. Nobody cares yeah.
0: about them. When they're good, everyone loves them, though. But, um, they're, yeah, uh, the Knicks so. are
1: also kind of a tragic team, though. I, uh, every, th- Every time I think about the New York Knicks, I think about that—that Stephen A. Smith video. I am having a very bad day.
0: That is. I am in no
1: mood. I am in no mood.
0: That perfectly, perfectly encapsulates what it's like to be a Knicks fan. It is just like they're—it's hopeless. Um, But anyway, so yeah, I'm very lucky. My mom is from the Bronx, so she's a Yankees and Giants fan, and. My dad only saddled me with uh, the Islanders, so I I lucked out. And then my family is just Knicks fans in general, so I, I I lucked out in that regard. You did luck uh, out
1: in that regard. Yeah. Those thanks. those Mets, Jets, Islanders fans like they're just they're constantly sad. Oh, I they're grew- never so, not sad.
0: Yeah. Nassau County where I grew up was all it's all it's a lot of Jets and Mets fans, and it is like it's bad, man. That that is not a <laughs> fun existence. I'm sorry. Like That's I like so to make fun. It's and then I'm in Queens, too. So, like, it's a lot of Mets. It's just it's not good. It's not a good situation. No,
1: nothing's fun about the Mets
0: ever. No, or or even, the Jets. The Jets, the Jets are I, the Jets are worse off.
1: Are, I haven't been paying attention to the start of football season nearly enough. Uh, Josh Rosen is currently on a practice squad, so I don't care. Um, Your Cardinals <laughs> are very one, good, though. Is, I, I don't care about them. They traded Josh Rosen. I'm I'm here for the lone Jewish quarterback. We <laughs> are not an athletic people. We were not made for sports. There's, like, there's Jason Zucker, Joshua Hosang, um, and, and Josh Rosen. And then I think there's, like, one other Jewish guy floating around out there somewhere, um, probably playing, like, chess or cricket, um, and Josh Rosen just like hasn't been he hasn't been given his chance. That's all right. Uh, so I don't care about football this year. But yeah, I, are the Jets as as bad as yeah they're
0: they're just like expected. somehow they they're the Jets but they're worse somehow. It's just like every year they outdo themselves. And the Giants are really friggin bad too. So I can't even like really make Giants are uh, New Is York Dan football with the Jets are he's
1: yeah, the Jets he's, right he, yeah
0: he's the Jets guy. It's New York. Football in New York City is just in a very uh, sad state of affairs.
1: It's anyway. in a bad state.
0: Yeah, that's all right. Yeah,
1: we'll we'll move beyond that. Um,
0: Do you have any I, comments about the NHL awards, real quick? Or
1: um my my comment about the NHL awards is I don't care.
0: I, my me too. Oh, I just oh don't my care. god, I don't. It's become so. Uh, I'm not gonna say it. the guy from Edmonton, uh, Leon. Um, that's the young dry sidle i didn't want to butcher his name
1: Ooh, fun fact followed me on twitter once for like oh,
0: 12 shit. hours wow you got an and mvp following you that followed I think you? it was
1: an accident he mm. followed me like back during his rookie season for about 12 hours and then he unfollowed me i think he was expecting me to be someone else um because so we never interacted i've never i don't tweet about him a ton um because i don't cover the oilers like i i don't punish myself like that um but yeah, no, I think he that that whole MVP controversy with the Hart Trophy. <sighs>
0: oh, I just I, don't care. It, 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 go ahead.
1: Here's my take on it. So I've I've voted. I'm in the I'm in the Pro Hockey Writers Association. Um, I'm a member, and so oh, I, have, voted? I have voted before. I did not vote this year. I actually full disclosure, I lost my voting rights for a year. Um, because I turned in my ballot late last year. Uh, <laughs> full ownership for that. My mistake. I, I owned up to it. I was going to get, if,
0: if an old guy ever listens to this, like an old white guy, that's part of that, he's going to yell at us.
1: They, they know. So we actually, those of us that turned it in late, um, it was, it was published like within, within the Pro Hockey Writers Association, um, cause we got in trouble for it. Yeah. It happens every year, like three or four people turn them in late. Listen, and it's happens. fine. You just, you're, you don't vote the next year. because
0: That's life, baby.
1: Not life everybody game. votes anyway. They they have to pull so that it's not skewed towards one team or one conference. So only X right. number of writers from each conference do get to vote each year. And so you're just taken out of that cycle, which is fine. But so I voted in the past. Um, and my thought on it is you look at the criteria, right? You look at the name and the description for each trophy. And so you see like the heart trophy, which is given to the player deemed most valuable to their team in the regular season. And to each person that means something different. Like to me, yeah. if you don't have a goalie in your top five, that's irresponsible because the most valuable person to their team, empirically, is likely a goaltender, right? So I the think I think plays the
0: most. I think you could have put Connor Hellebuck, uh That's how you pronounce it, right?
1: Yes. And I think I think he, he
0: deserved probably he deserves to be he deserved to be in the top five. I would say, right? That's fair.
1: Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. I think Elvis Muzlikins could have justified some votes. Jacob Markstrom sure. could have justified some votes. Um, but then you look at you know the way that most people vote, which is based on points. Scoring. I guess it's based on yeah. points and then you look at how, how Dom Lucheschen, who is the person who's under the most fire for it, you know, he left Leon Dreisidel off of his ballot entirely, because to him, Leon Dreisaitl was yeah. not defensively good enough. He was a defensive liability, um, so the net gain from being their team's leading scorer uh, wasn't enough to justify it for him. And that's that's his take on it. My take is that it should involve a goaltender so mine's in the opposite direction you know it should be almost entirely on, on the goaltending uh, but if you want it to be a full complete picture like a two way 200 foot game most valuable at all ends of the ice that's the Selkie Like you wouldn't yeah, vote what, for Leon that, Dreisaitl as the Selkie and so each award sort of blends into itself yeah, That's right? like, how
0: people interpret it
1: like the right? Norris it it absolutely is. There's the Norris for the best defenseman. There's the Selkie for the best defensive forward. There's the Lady Bing for, I mean, if you look at the Lady Bing, that's the one for the player who's deemed the most gentlemanly, uh, which whatever the fuck that means. Yeah, wait, well, you, you um, only get like
0: 10 penalty minutes in a season. if he, Whoever the the has the least I penalty. M- on
1: that one, I literally, I took a look, I sorted it at the end of the regular season. And I looked to see who had the fewest penalty minutes of the leading scorers. And I scrolled down enough to see who the top defenders were, who had low penalty minutes to see if any of them deserved to be in there. Um, Cause I think at one point I did have, have a, a defender in my, in my lady Bing group. Um, but it's tough. I mean, I go based on scoring and then the net gain of you know not having the penalty minutes, which in theory that's valuable. Having a guy who doesn't take penalties for your team and still manages to lead in scoring, a guy like Johnny Gaudreau, doesn't take those penalties, scores for the team, but we don't consider that the heart. So I don't know. It's it's such a subjective thing. Um,
0: it's just also
1: it subjective too. The players have their interpretations of who they think would win it. Um, so I was.
0: I, that's what I found most interesting that's the Ted Lindsay award the one that guys from the NHLPA vote on right
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they voted for a draw title dr- I can never say, so. I can't say yeah they, vo- they voted for him so like I don't know I think that's kind of worse than something too they play against him
1: yeah that's I mean it's it's a slightly different award because it's the most outstanding player Gotcha. It's the Ted Lindsay, and then the heart is the most valuable player, and so it's it's just these little differences in in the wording, and so I think it's
0: it just it opens we up a lot such of people's yeah, votes. yeah it's then it becomes a debate about analytics versus it's not analytics, and it's it's just like you go down that fucking road, and it's I don't it's tiring, it's just tiring. Yeah. Like I don't care,
1: I really it's don't tiring care. That's stupid. And, I mean, there are some people who I think do deserve to get, if not made fun of for their votes, uh, it's worth taking Explaining a look at how they voted
0: why you and voted wondering for how person.
1: objective they are. Um, sure, Because, sure. like, there was, there's a guy who, who covered the Kings, Um, I forget what his, his name is, uh, I think it was, like, Frozen Royalty or something, who, during one of the, the Calder votes, had some player who was barely still in the age range to be considered a Calder nominee and did okay, but wasn't, it was, Oh, it was Yanni Gord. He voted for Yanni Gord for the Calder. And I was like, are you,
2: why? Like, are you
1: okay? (laughs) Um, it was, it was bizarre. Like Yanni Gord had a good season playing with spectacular line mates as an older player who had 80 bajillion seasons in the AHL before making it up to the NHL and barely qualified for it based on games played and age and all that stuff. And He's so, 28. <laughs> yeah, it was it was super baffling. And so I didn't fully understand that one. Um somebody voted for Tristan Jari for the heart, which I find equally baffling. Like I don't I don't get it. Um I think there was another one that like, Tony D'Angelo got some votes for the Norris. That's baffling to me. Nobody on the New York Rangers deserved a Norris vote. Not a single person. No. Um, doesn't matter if you're the best defender on the New York Rangers. Like, you were yeah. still bad. The I whole think... lot of them.
0: Yeah, I think, Uh, I mean, with the Rangers, you could have... Uh, I, personally, with Panarin, if, like... If he won uh, the heart, I would have been like, okay, that makes sense. If McKinnon won the heart, I would have been like, okay, that makes sense. But yeah, like like you said, I don't care. I don't like. I think when people do have like kind of like outlandish votes, like you mentioned, like it's like yeah, like maybe you should explain why you voted for this person. And yeah. I do give, I do give, like you mentioned, Dom with his ballot, I do give him credit because he kind of backed up. You know, he said this is why. X, Y, and Z, Y voted? Not that I agree or disagree with his with who he voted for, but he at least you know wrote a whole article about it, which is uh, you don't get that usually.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is I think uh, I think there's a case to be made that he took the award and willfully interpreted it so differently from everyone else that his vote was not going to pull much weight. Yeah. Um, which I think that's a very fair case if, you know, I think it was it was Kurt Levins of Cult of Hockey in Edmonton who was so bigly mad about it. Like he was tweeting up a storm oh about it, saying that it was undermining like the the integrity of the pro hockey writers association, which is wild because Steve Simmons is a member. Um yeah, I think he undermines it.
0: But, <laughs> yeah, like, but Steve putting Simmons that aside, like, like Yeah, is a bad dude. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So putting I mean, putting that aside, I think there there is a constructive way to say, hey, I think Dom Luterson's vote uh, willfully changed the interpretation so much. It deviated from the consensus so much that his vote was his vote was like writing in Kanye West on your your 2020 election ballot like it. Please don't it do that. It doesn't do anything Yeah, please don't. Please don't do that to our we, like to our five listeners. Please yeah. don't do that. We'll but preface it, it, saying that <laughs> it was like that. It where his vote was not going to change anything because it deviated from the consensus right. interpretation so drastically. But I respect that he. I mean, he had logic behind it. Whether they yeah, weren't out. It was out, an outlandish. It yeah. It not it,
0: it wasn't like yeah. It wasn't like he voted for. You know, and fourth line players are important, but it wasn't like he voted for some fourth line guy or, you know what I mean? Like He didn't vote or... for
1: Ryan Reeves and Matt Dumba as his yeah. top two because they, they promoted hockey diversity, which, I mean, I consider that incredibly valuable, but that's not how the awards interpreted. Um, <laughs> sure. So, you know, it's not like he did anything super left field like that. Um, he just, I think he deviated from the way that the award was being voted By the rest of the Pro Hockey Raiders Association. And I think it's, I think people are allowed to criticize that. You know, I think you can disagree with deviating that drastically. But at the same time, I don't don't think think it's worth getting that. Yeah, you don't need to.
0: Come on, guys, people are dead. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
1: there are actual problems, and like, that is not one of them. There are still people who listen to some 41 in the year of our Lord 2020
0: okay all focus. right relax yeah. <laughs> um and then real before we jump into our uh interview um NHL came out said you know they're not sure when they're going to start the season uh maybe in December I don't know possibly December in the earliest possibly they January
1: it as rather than starting at the beginning of December, there's a very real chance it will get pushed to the end of December, which I think could mean that if it gets pushed to the calendar year 2021, that is not out of the realm of possibility. It shouldn't come as a shock.
0: And and this was mentioned in a tweet. I don't know who uh, tweeted it, but uh, first of all, the NHL does not want to go. Gary Batman said they don't want to go into the summer like they are right now, obviously, like like how they had to do this playoff round, you know, go throughout the whole summer. They don't want to do that again. They want to, go, as least as possible, they want to go into the summer. Uh, they're still doing the Olympics this summer, and, and NBC, you know, holds the, that's a huge deal they have with NBC to broadcast the Olympics. So I would imagine, the, and that's in the summer, so I would imagine the NHL would have to wrap up before then uh, I
1: completely forgot about how it'll conflict with the Olympics, uh, so, which, by the way, like, can we toss in that the way they've been marketing the Olympics as next year, 2020? I hate that. I don't want to see 2020 mentioned anywhere in my timeline. After December 31st, I don't want to hear anything about 2020 ever again in my life.
0: Wait, they're still calling it the Olympics 2020? Yes. Oh, come on. Just stop. Like, stop. They still just. have,
1: like, the 2020 logo, and they've been saying yeah. 2020 next once
0: summer. This, like, once stop. this calendar flips, come on. Please stop. We we all deserve to be out of this hellhole of a year. Like,
1: right? like I just I had to get that off my chest because I, no. so so oh, I hate it so much. So,
0: there's no way they play 82 regardless. I think I think you're going to go to a... You get a 60 to 70 game season.
1: Do you think they're going to be playing it... Uh, with 3 and 5s <sighs> or do you think they're going to be playing like back to back to back um
0: uh they won't do they'll do 3 and 5s so they'll kind of it'll be i guess a little similar to what they had to do in 2013 uh was it 2013 or yeah it was 2013
1: that, but they they shortened that season to 48 games
0: right i think it'll be a little more than it'll be more more than 48 uh i think i think you'll get 3 and 5s you won't you're not going to get back to back to back like they do in the AHL. I just, I can't see that happening. I, I'm very curious. I don't think they're going to do a bubble for the regular season. Maybe they'll do a bubble for the playoffs again.
1: So my biggest question when it comes to looking at the back to back to back versus shortening the season, potentially even to 48 games. Um, So, looking at what player because it it's going to have to come down to player agreement right the players are going to yeah. have to approve it um sure you look at the rigor of playing those back to back to backs like they do in the ahl which i think players probably wouldn't be happy about it keeps them away from their families longer on the road it keeps them doesn't give them it's as much the, recovery time it's health-wise it's, it's kind not of dangerous as good.
0: it's dangerous
1: yeah i, I think like. we could definitely argue that absolutely but If we shorten the season to 48, the players who have bonuses, right? Guys like Zidane Chara, who a lot of these guys are going to be signing as free agents, I think, before we get the structure of the season. So a guy like Zidane Chara, who presumably is going back to Boston, I can't see any reason he doesn't, usually signs a deal. It's 2 mil, maybe 4 mil, stacked with performance bonuses based on number of how, games they play right how many points they score you know how many goals they score do you think that we see cuz some of those guys are on multi year deals who are on some? it's those 35 and over contracts that have all these stacked performance bonuses some of them have contracts that are in the middle they have either a 2 year or 3 year thing going on where they already have those performance bonuses built in based on the number of games they play, a lot of those are at a 50-game. Like, they have a 20-game performance bonus that kicks in, they have a 50-game performance bonus that kicks in, and then they have, like, their playoff performance bonus. Do you think that we see any pushback from veteran players on a shortened season that could potentially rob them of those? Do you think we see that being stacked into new contracts where they talk about maybe a guy like Chara giving a percentage performance bonus instead? Because we won't know how many games are going to be played, I think, when free agency starts. So they're going to be building these bonuses not knowing how many games they're going to play. Do you think that we're going to see percentage? Do you think that we're going to see a potential grievance filed where they ask for more? Or do you think that we maybe see them push for more games just to help them hit those numbers like what what do you see happening?
0: so i'm just looking up because the last the lockout season was in 2013 and that was a 48 game season that started and that started i'm just looking at the islander schedule because but started it started
1: like january 12th or something didn't it
0: january 19th so that, okay. that we'll say around the 19th 20th so if you start and let's say mid December, late December, you're still getting a leg up. You could probably add another 10, 12 games, so you can get a sixty game season, right? Is that fair? You think, or
1: I think it's fair. I just wonder if they're going to try pushing because they they keep bringing up eighty two, right? Every time there's no, they way, talk there's just no it, way. Talking about eighty two, and I no... that's that's my opinion. I think it's there's no way, but. And Do I think, you think uh, we'll see any of that pushback?
0: Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you had all that. You had, the obviously, the whole thing with baseball um, this year. I don't know. I I really don't know. It's going to be tricky. I don't know how you can say it's an 82-game season. Uh, I don't know how it's going to affect contract. I think free agency in general is going to be weird as shit this year, just because of the flat cap, right?
1: I think like, it's going to be super bizarre.
0: Yeah. I think you're going to see a lot. of. I think besides like Taylor Hall and Ryan Nugent Hopkins will probably get kind of what they're looking for, maybe, but I think you're going to see a lot of one-year deals for guys. One to two, like not, you're not going to see lengthy deal, three to four-year deals that like you normally, yeah. that's my prediction. I don't know. Um, But yeah, it's tough. I don't know how, also what's going to play into it is, I don't think the NHLPA is going to, would agree to play a regular season in the bubble. <clears throat> Again, excuse me. I think that's going to be where they're playing these games is going to be a huge factor for too, I think.
1: I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Um yeah, and I think, I think we're going to see controversy there because we're going to see some of especially based on ownership. Uh there's it's no secret that the political leanings within the ownership groups uh is, is very widespread. We have some more liberal owners and then we have some more conservative owners. Sure. Uh, The Jacobs family. (laughs) Um, And I think the more conservative owners are going to put attendance revenue. Over potential safety and health, Um, they're going to think it's an an abundance of caution, it's unnecessary, whatever their their talking point is at this point. Um, And they're going to be pushing for games to be played in their cities, uh, potentially with like what the NFL is doing. Where certain teams are allowing people in the stands, others aren't. Um and then yeah. we're gonna have other ownership groups. Um Ted Le- leonesis um, the owner of the Capitals, unabashedly liberal, right? He constantly talks about how he's striving to make hockey more inclusive, safer, more diverse. Um I can't see him agreeing to anything that puts the fan base in danger, that puts his players in danger, and puts his employees in danger. So I think we're going to get pushback from guys like him versus guys like Jacobs, who yeah, I don't think is going to get Two flying. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, so, listen. I
1: think that's going to be a big controversy I, to,
0: point. to start. If it starts in December, I, I will tell you, there's no way you're going to be – But we don't know where we're going to be as a country in terms of, you know, when we never really got out of the first wave. But you know what I mean? It's going to be the, you know, winter, middle of winter. It's going to be depends on where we are on a vaccine and if it's, you know, out to the public. There's so many factors. But, yeah, I could absolutely see because a lot of hockey, a lot of hockey franchises all make their money or a lot of their money from gate revenue. Right. Right. So are these guys going to value the dollar over personal safety? I hope not, because it is a little different at a, a, you know, how big are football stadiums? 80,000, right? Is that
1: something like that? Yeah,
0: it's outside. It's not that I'm I don't know if I would go to a football game right now, but I'm just saying you're outside me too. Right. And you could but you're at, pay me to go
1: to a football game.
0: If it's a quarter, if it's quarter full and it's outside and you can space out, that's a lot different than being in, in an enclosed 18,000 person arena. You know what I mean? It's like, it's right. so, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, it's a lot in the air, up in the air. What I think is, I, I think it's just going to be a shortened season. I don't think that obviously doesn't make the season any less legitimate. Even like I'm, 60 games. That's fine. I'm good with that. Um, so we'll see what happens. But um, we will be back shortly uh, with our interview with uh, Saad.
1: So joining us tonight, I'm super excited about this one. I, we have Saad Youssef from the athletic Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, god has been covering the Stars, uh, I believe the Cowboys, the other Dallas teams uh, as a general assignment reporter for them. Uh, and he wrote probably my favorite story of the playoffs so far, talking about Anton Hedobin, uh, where he talked to 21 different players, coaches, former teammates of Hedobin about playing with him, what he was like, his fashion sense, all that. It was Super well researched, super well delivered. Uh, so we're really excited to have him on. Saad, how are you doing tonight?
2: I'm doing great. That was a that that was a, a, definitely a, one of the highlights that I've done in my career. It was a lot of fun to just put together as a journalist. Like a lot of times, it's just uh, you know stories come out looking one way, and it's like you know what, regardless of how it comes out, a lot of times it's like I'm gonna sound like a hockey coach here, super cliche, but it's like the process is sometimes what stands out the most and the process for this one and talking to all these different people who are like elementary school teachers now and like, and car salesmen and, and mechanics and all these other people is just like so much fun to do. So yeah, that was definitely a, a good time.
1: That's awesome. Uh, so sort of circling around that uh, obviously Anton had the, the surprise starter for some for the Dallas stars during their exciting playoff run They're They're currently facing the Tampa Bay lightning in the Stanley cup final. Um, I'll be perfectly honest. I did not have either of those teams <laughs> in the final. Um, they were, they were nowhere near even, even my wildest predictions. Um, but as someone who's been covering the stars all year, what's it What's it like getting to cover this right now? How exciting is it?
2: It's so much fun. I mean, it, you know, it's crazy because, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I obviously I'm not completely in tune with every single intricate details of every team around the NHL, but just knowing what the stars have gone through this year, it's absolutely crazy to see just, you know, what kind of uh, storylines have have followed this team throughout the year. If you look at it, Going from the very beginning, and, and it's crazy to think that we're now, you know, one year removed from training camp and we're still, you know, in this season. But um, when you look at that, when you look at last year and coming out of training camp, um, Denny, Denny Gurianov he made the opening day roster. And uh, and he was on the roster for, I think it was about a month or so, uh, a few weeks or something. And then he got sent down to the AHL after a few healthy scratches. Um, he comes back from that. He was the Dallas stars leading goal scorer this year. Um, as a team, they started one, seven and one, um, that, that's how they started the season. And then they basically, I, I don't think, I think they only lost one game in November. So they went almost undefeated after starting one, seven and one. Um, and then they turned that thing around and they finally start winning. And two weeks after no, and like less than a week into December, Um, they abruptly fire their coach for non-hockey reasons. So that happens. And then they, you know, and then they turn it around and they start winning and and playing well. Um, And on top of all that, they in January, uh, they get Stephen Johns back, who was dealing with, you know, uh, just a a terrible situation in terms of uh, post-traumatic headaches and, and things like that. And um, and so they get him back. That's a really good feel good story. And then in March they're in at the end of February and through March, they're losing six games in. A, they lost six games in a row. It looks like they're headed towards a collapse and maybe falling out of the playoffs after competing for the top of the Western Conference. And then the pandemic hits. And so then we're off for four months. They come back and. Once they start the round robin, they they lose the first, uh, they lose the exhibition game, they lose the first two round robin games, they barely squeak out a win in the third round robin game, and uh, and then they just have never looked back from there. So, um, you know, it, it's crazy just the the ebbs and flows of this season for the stars. I can't imagine any team has really gone through as much as they have.
0: Yeah, just bringing up that even after the uh, the round robin you know they they faced up against the flames and that was you know against calgary and that was when i was a series i really was unsure of i had no idea i felt like it could have been a coin flip and you had game six and they they were down three nothing so it's looking like the flames are about to force a game seven and then milan lucic takes they takes a dumb penalty and the stars score seven consecutive goals and then (laughs) they go on to be you know, then they face the Avalanche, and everyone's like, "Well, the Avalanche are going to just steamroll them because they're the Avalanche, and they're, you know, one of the most uh, skilled teams in the league." And then Stars take care of them, and what was that seven? You know, they blow the three-one lead, but then they stay resilient and win in overtime in Game Seven, and they take care of the Knights, who are probably the other most talented team in uh, the West, and they took care of them in five games. So it's like, it's like it's such a wild uh, ride for them. I feel like.
2: Yeah, it's definitely been crazy. I mean, you know, you talk about those ser- playoff series as well. Um, like Colorado, for example, you know, in Game Seven, they go into Game Seven without one of their one of their premier um, uh, checking forwards, Andrew Andrew Cogliano, and to fill in for him is this rookie who's played eleven NHL games and has one goal by the name of Yoel Kibiranta, and he scores a hat trick and the game winning goal in overtime, and it's just like you have no idea where that comes from and he wouldn't have even been in the game had it not been for an injury. So, um, you know, you, again, you talk about just, you know, the, the crazy, the crazy up and downs of this series and like, you know, against Colorado, they all of a sudden they turn into this offensive juggernaut and they're winning five, four games. And then against Vegas, they they're winning one nothing games again. So it's just, uh, you know, they've been doing it all and they've been super resilient. You saw it, You saw it in the latest game, uh, in game two, in the Stanley Cup final as well. You know, they go down 3-0 in the first period, and they almost complete the comeback uh, in the third, and they lose 3-2. So this team is just really weird. Um, You know, they just never give up. They're a resilient bunch, and uh, and, and it's fun to watch.
1: So you talked about Yoel Kiviranta. Um, How... Is he a player is he a player that you'd been following? I know obviously you you cover the Stars, you cover all the other teams in Dallas. Uh how much did you get to watch the Texas Stars? Did you know much about him coming into the playoffs other than that he was one of those guys who was there for those injuries?
2: Yeah, I mean, I did because, uh, you know, like you said, I cover I cover all the teams around here, but really, my 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 uh, I do put an extra emphasis on the Stars and the Mavericks. So, um, you know, throughout the season, um, I, I make a, I make monthly or twice a month trips down to uh, Austin, um, and watch the Texas Stars play. So I had watched uh, Yoel Kiburanta actually play, I don't know, I would say probably probably five or six AHL games, and then also. He had been uh, he had been called up to the NHL for for I think it was uh, about eleven games or uh, a handful of games. So I saw him both in the AHL and the NHL. Um, and and you know y- you feel like he has talent, but again this was an undrafted free agent. So this is not this is not Dennis Gurianov who you know got sent down to kind of find his skill, come back up, and then lead the team in goals. This guy this guy was not drafted. He was si- he was signed as an undrafted free agent, but um, you know, every time we would talk to the coaches and everything, they would just talk about how how skilled he was. And uh, and, you know, some of those things are things that, you know, you don't you can't really coach at this level. Um, some guys just come in with it and they're like, you know, they're kind of honing his skills at that point. So, you know, for for someone who was you know, I guess more plugged into the team, um, it didn't catch me maybe as off guard. Now, it was a complete shock still. Um, but I, I, I was aware of who he was and when he came in, you know, there was a chance like he scored the hat trick in that game seven, but really ever since that he's played the entire Vegas series and two games in the Stanley cup final. And even though he's not scoring hat tricks every game or, or any game since he's been playing really well. So, you know, this is, he's a guy that that's going to have a future in Dallas. That's
1: awesome to hear.
0: Yeah, for sure. So who else would you say, I mean, you look at that top line and they've, I, I feel like it's fair to say they've had a very up and down playoffs. Uh, say again, Ben and Radulov, when they all play together, who who else has been carrying this team besides them, would you say?
2: Well, in the playoffs, it's definitely been, you know, Miro Haskin has just been absolutely incredible. Um, its It's unreal to think this kid is 21 years old and doing what he's doing. He got off to a uh, to a flaming hot start in the playoffs in general um was was breaking all kinds of records um he's he's kind of slowed down on the stat sheet uh but we actually talked to Rick Bonus about this yesterday and you know he 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 was quick to remark that you know even though he's not scoring those goals or getting the assists or anything like that um he's still he's still a, a huge impact player he's their best defenseman um aside from him there's there's you know and and Anton Hudobin, obviously uh you know and, and Jamie Benn has had this really you know interesting resurgence here in the playoffs and he's been playing really well not quite the Art Ross tr- Jamie Benn but um but he's been you know he's been putting together some really uh clutch goals and and things like that and then uh Joe Pavelski Joe Pavelski you know was kind of th- there was talk of is he a bust or not the way that he was signed for a big contract and then had kind of a disappointing regular season. He's come up with clutch goals time and time again. Um, he's been really good. And then, as we saw in the loss in game two uh, against in, in the Stanley Cup final, um, J- uh, John Klingberg, he's also been really, he's been playing really well all playoffs as well. So they've had a lot of guys step up, which has kind of masked the. Uh, the deficiencies if you will of tyler sagan at least you know on the scoring front
0: yeah even uh even though he's has slowed down a bit he's still a point per game for and that's you know yeah. that's what you, for a defenseman you'll take you'll, you'll live with that with
1: the coyotes had players who quote-unquote slowed down during the playoffs and finished with a point per game so <laughs> i think now, it's
0: between him and headman right for like uh defenseman point leaders i think
2: yeah, I think Hedman has has the slight lead on him. Um, but but he started off. I think the first. I think it was like the first seven games or so where he had he had assisted or scored every single goal. Um, so it was it was something crazy like that. It was either the first seven or eight points that they uh scored or something. But um, he was heavily involved and and also you know real quick on that he's this is something that Rick Bonus was uh, preaching really, really hard in training camp. We were able to go and watch training camp practices every day here in Dallas, and and something bonus was was just preaching every single day, was activating the defenseman um, on offense and on the rush and things like that. That's why you see um, and get involved as he is, because he was always a great de- uh, defensive defenseman, but um, he has the offensive skills. It was just the system was holding him back a little bit and now there's a stronger emphasis and that's why you see uh, Miro playing uh, a big role on the offense and John Klingberg as well.
1: So I wanted to circle back for just a moment to to Joe Pavelski there. He uh when I was when I was writing up the notes for for talking to you tonight, he's a name that I completely forgot to put on the list to talk about, but how important has he been to this playoff run for you guys, obviously in terms of scoring, he's been huge. Uh, I feel like every time I watch he's, he's scoring another clutch goal. He has 10 goals at the moment. I believe he's, he's leading you guys in the playoffs, but uh, outside of that, just the leadership and and the playoff experience. I know you have some in Tyler Sagan to an extent, you have a couple other veteran players there. You have Corey Perry, uh, Andrew Cogliano, Ben Bishop, you have some of these other guys who have been in the playoffs before and made deep runs, but but what's Pavelski bringing there?
2: Oh, he's huge. I mean, the other day he scored uh, he, he scored in game two on that deflection, and uh, and that that gave him 58 goals in the playoffs, which uh, tied him with Mike Madano for second most by a U.S. born player in the playoffs. So you know, you talk about Cogliano and Perry and all those other guys. Uh, Pavelski is, is I would say, on, on a, on, on a different level right now, especially because, you know, Corey Perry has been, I, I guess, you know, one of the ultimate winners. He's won almost everything at every level, but he's, he's a, he's a lot more of a role player. Whereas Pavelski is, you know, he's, he's not really just simply a role player. He is one of the premier weapons that the Stars have, and and his his mo the thing that he does best is you know get in front of the net those deflections and and you know creating opportunities and traffic and the good thing is that he's still doing that to a really high level and he had a he had a, a hat trick earlier in these playoffs um like you said the leadership has been huge as well because when you look at the guys that are wearing the letters for the stars they're guys that have been here for quite a few years and and uh, they've been through some of the heartbreaking playoff runs um but Jamie Ben is the captain and Jamie hasn't won anything yet. And so, you know, th- the fact that he has Pavelski to kind of uh, bounce things off of, he's talked about how how huge that is and uh and Pavelski's just a guy that all the teammates really r- really seem to gravitate gravitate towards. Um early in the playoffs, John Klingberg walked into the arena with the exotic Joe shirt on. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so. It's just, you know, everyone, everyone loves Joe Pavelski, and, uh, and so I think that's, that, that plays huge for the morale as well as his on-ice production.
0: Yeah, he's starting to look like, uh, well, he's definitely looking look, looking like the Joe Pavelski in San Jose. Like you mentioned, he's going to the front of the net, and he's scoring, you know, those deflections on the power play and uh, I guess, you know, call it those greasy goals right in front in the high danger area. So that's really good uh, for the Stars if he keep, keeps that up the rest of the way.
1: And that's the scariest thing in the world. After watching a, after watching Joe Pavelski with the Sharks for so long against the Coyotes, I feel like, because he, he, I don't know if he still uses it, but he used that all-white stick, so he had no idea where his stick was on the ice, didn't know if it was up in the air or down on the ice, and he just floated around there, and he'd sort of float quietly to the net, and you knew he was going to score every time he did it. But talking about that, that personality and the leadership presence and guys that you gravitate towards, I don't think we've talked enough about Anton Hadobin. Um, Talk a little bit about that story. I know that you said that the process was fun, but learning about him as a person, what, what did you get from that? Uh, Have you, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Have you had a player show up, it, on any team that you've covered so far that has just the, just the personality of Anton Hedobin. Have you had that at any point with any other team in the past?
2: Yeah, I would say there's one player that that was actually kind of the inspiration that, that kind of inspired me on this story. And that's uh, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, Boban Marjanovic. Um, yes. everyone, <laughs> everyone loves Boban. Um and so you know bobon but but the thing is that bobon is is a is a guy who is pretty much everyone's favorite teammate all across the league all throughout the n b a you hear even in the playoff series against the clippers that you know they the clippers were shooting a free throw or something and and uh you know the the clippers that were next to him were just like, man, you're just such a nice guy, it's so hard to just you know scrap with you and things so um I would say bobon, but bobon only played like eight to ten minutes a game or something like that. anton Udovin is the starting goaltender for for a, a complete playoff run, so that's where it's so different because you know it's you have guys who who you know can can be a good teammate and and do all that because they, you know they're able to kind of do it uh low key behind the scenes. anton is able to do it in a way and and, and the other thing is but like comparing it to Boban, for example, he's a basketball player. They, they, you know, he subs in, he has the opportunity to get big minutes. Anton Udobin is a goaltender. When Ben Bishop, who is the star's number one all all year long, um, when he's the number one, it's not like goaltenders split time during the game. So Anton, even though, by the way, throughout the whole regular season, he led the entire league in save percentage. So he had a really good case why he should be getting more starts and more time but he never complains and and so you know ben bishop was the number one he he was fine with that and throughout the whole time he wasn't a distraction i mean you you just look at the situation in vegas right and i think it was uh flurry's agent who had that that picture. (laughs) And so, you know, now Flurry's a great goaltender, and so is Robin Leonard. And so you kind of have this balance of these two guys, and, and you have some, e- even if it wasn't from Flurry, you just have some of this stuff, and you just have none of that from Hudobin. He's just, you know, he's just a good teammate. He's a great guy. He's there all the time, even when he wasn't playing. So I think that's what's kind of like, what stands out so much about him, is that this isn't something that just kind of popped up, uh... What really the thing that's popped up uh, most suddenly, I would say, is just the string of dominant performances on the big stage, which he's never really had the opportunity for. Um, But aside from that, the teammate aspect of this, this has been going on for the last two years, and it's and it's absolutely no surprise to to you know the Dallas Stars or anybody that's been covering them. I mean, if you even just not even talking, I
0: mean, talking about how great of a teammate is, if you look at his just performance over his career. He has always been a like a good goalie that you could always make the case like, "Well, why isn't he a starter somewhere?" Like he he always has that talent, had that talent, I feel like.
2: Yeah, he has. I mean, you look at his stops. I mean, he he's, he had, he had, he spent so much time in Boston and I mean, you're you're dealing with Tuukka and uh and Tim Thomas and guys like that. You know, it's hard to it's hard to get over guys like that. He had he had some uh, good goaltending that he had to compete with against the Minnesota Wild, which which is where he started, um, and and then in Carolina as well, and then in Anaheim was just a completely unfortunate situation for him. But those are basically his stops. And I talked to a couple of his teammates in Carolina, um, and I think it was Riley Nash who said, you know, it, it it was every time he played, he just played so well, but he just never really got the opportunity to to really take the job over and make it his own. So. It really was just a matter of, of you know, opportunity. Um, and it's crazy that it's come in the playoffs at 34 years old.
1: The fact that the Hurricanes passed him up for the <laughs> decrepit, confused corpse of Cam Ward remains like one of the biggest mysteries in the NHL. I still don't understand that because I, I obviously watched him in Boston. I, it was a, I was a, decent Bruins fan. (laughs) So I liked him and I was sad when he went to, uh, when he went to Carolina and watched him do well and was like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe he's found his, his place. And then they were done with him too. And Boston took him back. And I was like, ah, your loss and enjoy Cam Ward for the next decade. Um, But that's, that's such a good point. You know, that he's, he's Mm -hmm. been this like starting caliber goaltender his entire career bafflingly because he from a technical standpoint he's terrifying to watch he makes you want to just like cover your eyes the entire time because you have no idea what he's going to do but he's he's been good the whole time and he's watching him finally get his due is is super satisfying um even though it means you know we're not getting we're not getting Ben Bishop against his former team which which would have been an an okay storyline but I, I kind of like the Hudobin one a little better. Um, but yeah, sort of, I was actually, I was actually like, you know,
2: for me, I you know, I was actually curious about your thoughts on that, because I know, I, I know you probably are one of the most, well, definitely on, uh, among us three, but, but, you know, it, just in general, you know, goaltending really well, I'm, I was curious about, you know, how you kind of, found anton hudobin's game which is just so random and i think one of the quotes that i had that i got from somebody in my story was he just throws whatever body part he can find uh, (laughs) in front of the net and so it's just like it's not it's not super technical like to watch to watch you know hockey end to end in this stanley cup final and you have andre Vasilevsky on one end who is just technically sound he plays he plays the way that, you know, you you think that a goaltender should play. And then on the other side, you know, sometimes Anton can just be like a fish out of water, but, but the puck doesn't go in. So it's just like, you know, I, I you never know what to make of that.
1: Yeah. It's uh it's funny. He, um he passed through Arizona. I think it was either, I think it was last year uh, during the, the 18, 19 season. And it, you know, Finding time in the schedule to talk to the goaltenders when they pass through, especially for teams that we only see here once or twice a year can be kind of tricky because, you know, sometimes they don't have a practice day or they have a practice day that conflicts with the Coyotes also having practice at a different rink right before the game or it's a back to back or whatever. And so knowing that he was there, I was like, right, I have to get a chance to talk to him. I love him. I think he's weird. I want to hear from him why he plays the way he does. Like, I want to hear a little bit about the technical side of things. And, and so I told their, their media guy, I was like, Hey, just so you know, I'm, um, I, I'm with Ingle Magazine. Um, I want to talk to Anton Hadobin. I want it to be a little bit more technical conversation wise. Um, So I can do a group thing with others. So I can, you know, I can be a part of the scrum, but if he's okay, I want to pull him aside for about 10 or 15 minutes and just, just talk shop. And he was like, yeah, I'll let him know, see if he's okay with that. And so we did a quick scrum with him after practice. Uh, people asked him, like, a few questions here and there. And then he comes over to me, and he goes, follow me. And he leads me out of the rink, like, outside, into the sun, stands by the equipment truck. And he's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So we're, like, hiding away from everyone else. He, like, drags me out in secret. And I started asking him questions about, like, the technical side of his game. And he has a story for how he picked up each various technique. Like, he's learned about post-integration. He knows how to play reverse VH. He just doesn't like to. He knows tracking. He knows head trajectory. He knows everything. And he's picked it up from each different coach. And he has this story for how he picked up everything. But he just, like, throws it all in a blender. And he was trying to explain to me how he throws it all in a blender and just tries to mix it all together so that nobody ever knows what's coming next and so that he can kind of confuse the shooters and surprise them and take them take them by unawares and when I walked away from the conversation, I just blinked a couple times it was like it was like coming out of a really good movie that you didn't fully understand and <laughs> And I called my boss, uh, Kevin Woodley with Engel. And I was like, hey, so I just talked with Anton Hodobin for like 20 minutes. I don't remember a word he said. I'm like, (laughs) I'm in shock right now. It was like that was so much to process. It was like sensory overload. But it was it was so fun to hear from a technical standpoint. He has it all but he has no set pattern for how he uses it, which is how he ends up looking like he does. He just throws whatever he wants. He tries not to overthink it. He doesn't plan for, you know, if if the shooter comes at me this way, I'm going to react this way. He just, he stands there. And as a shooter starts to come towards him, he, he goes, maybe I'll try this. And he just does whatever he thinks in that specific moment, which to have the mindset to play like that, I think it's almost like, like looking at Dominic Hasek. Like, if you asked 8 million goaltenders to play like he did, they'd all fail.
0: I was just going to ask, Kat, do, would you compare his style to Hasek or Tim Thomas?
1: Mm, to to an extent. I mean, I haven't talked to, to Hasek or Thomas in the past, so I don't know if the mindset's the same there. But right. I think that that mindset of just being able to completely clear pattern forming from your head and just do what seems best to you in that very moment without any it's almost like he clears away all outside distractions and all habit forming material and to have that ability to do that cognitively I think is on the level of Tim Thomas and Dominic Sheck I think that 99.9% of goaltenders who were told to approach it with that that sort of mental approach wouldn't be able to do it because most people's brains just don't work that way. And that's that's fascinating to me. So hearing like all the stories that you wrote, Saad, like about especially the clothes, like the way he talks about clothes and the Uggs, him walking into practice in shorts and a t-shirt and furry Uggs in a hundred degree weather. Like that's just having that kind of, personality and brain is it's so neat
2: yeah and and and, you know the thing is like a lot of what he does is you know just him being him like he's not trying to he's not trying to be a clown he's not trying to like necessarily you know uh make people laugh in 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 a way that's like you know forced or anything like that it's just kind of who he is like he's just you know he he loves cars he loves clothes um, and, and he just lets that be, he doesn't try to like hide it. Um, and he's like that on and off the ice, you know, like he's, he doesn't necessarily try to, to, tr- to conform and do things the way that everything is supposed to be done in a textbook kind of way. And, uh, and I think that's what kind of sets him apart. And so, you know, you talk about like, and, and you know, we, we can talk about the stories here in a second, but I did want to, uh, bring up one thing. I, I, I did a story um, in early February, on uh, on Jeff Reese, the uh, goaltender coach for for the Dallas Stars, and um, and you know, because at that point Ben Bishop and Hudobin were both playing playing so well, and so this is this is a quote. I'm gonna read a quote here from Ben Bishop, and then I'll read the follow up um, from uh, from Anton Hudobin. And so I asked Ben Bishop, kind of like you know, um, how he prepares and things like that, and he said, and I quote. I usually watch their last two or three games, all of their opposing team scoring chances, and then I'll go back and watch all of their goals over the last 20 games just to kind of see where the goals are coming from, who's scoring them, and how they're getting scored. And then he said, you know, he likes watching hockey and it's not homework, he just enjoys it. And so I asked Anton how he gets ready, and he said <laughs> and he said, I just try to stop the pucks in the game. And that's it. <laughs>
1: that sounds about right that that sounds that's that's him in a nutshell right there I don't think he's if he's watched film it's it's just been to learn more about a certain style but I don't think he's ever sat down to do pattern forming homework in his life (laughs) and and it works for him I think if if Ben Bishop tried to do that, he'd be an absolute disaster with, with no disrespect to Ben Bishop, who's great in his own right, obviously. But but yeah, that, that kind of sums it up. And uh, it's worth pointing out that uh, I don't think Jeff Reese gets enough credit. We're talking about how Hudobin doesn't get enough credit. Uh, I think that the Philadelphia Flyers losing Jeff Reese was one of the biggest hits to that team. That we've seen, maybe, maybe over the entirety of that team, you know, and that was that was a situation where I think Jeff Reese ended up leaving Philadelphia because he and the head coach were having disagreements. I think that was when Craig Berube was still there. Uh, they they were having trouble figuring out how to handle Steve Mason, who was a little little injury prone. Um, we obviously none of us know the full story, but. Jeffrey's disagreed with how things were being handled and, and left the team pretty abruptly. And, and that was Dallas's gain. I think that he's, he's a coach who I don't think gets talked about nearly enough.
2: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And, and, you know, in the story that I wrote, it was uh um, Anton gave Jeff Reese so much credit because he said the number one thing that Jeff Reese does is he doesn't try. uh He doesn't try to, to mold anybody into something they're not. So, he'll let he, he'll let Ben Bishop be Ben Bishop and he'll treat Bishop the way that you know he wants to be treated and then uh and then he'll treat Anton Udobin the way that Anton wants to be treated and he said that was a big struggle for him uh throughout throughout his career which you know as as you saw like in the story that I did he's played for 10 North American teams um before he finally landed with the Stars the all the way from the WHL, ECHL, AHL, NHL and he said, you know, a lot of times goaltenders would try to just kind of, you know, try to try to m- make him either technically sound or do things the way that that everyone does it. And uh, and and you know, along with a lot of his former teammates, I talked to his mentor uh, uh, Evgeny Nabokov, and um, and he he talked about how like you know that's the beauty of Anton Hudobin. He just he just chooses to do things differently, and that's why he's successful. And as as you said, Jeff Reese lets him do that. He doesn't try to change that.
1: Uh, I think, as an aside, by the way, uh, Nabby is Mikey's hero. Oh yeah, I so love bringing it. Up I, his
0: love, name. I love a good Evgeny Nabokov reference. My, he's
2: my favorite goalie of all time. Love he's a good Nabby reference of all time. He's, he's, yeah, he's the man. <laughs> Well, he's Anton's favorite of all time too, so yeah, you guys have something in common there. <laughs> he's, like, he's a character too, man.
1: <laughs> he is. I've I've heard some stories about him. Uh, he's he's good buddies with Adam Francilia, who's a who's the guy who does off ice training for a lot of goalies in the NHL. He works with uh with Connor Hellebuck. Um, he works with Devin Dubnik. He worked with Laurent Brossois. He's been working with Thomas Grace. Uh, he knows Nabby from from San Jose and. And just some of the stories about him. He's a uh, he's off off the wall too. And I think uh, I think he and Hudobin are they're they're birds of a feather <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to put it nicely. Absolutely. So uh, oh, go
0: ahead. Go Kat. ahead. Go ahead. Um, just real quick, going into Game Three, how how do you think uh, the Stars could you know get the upper hand in this series and take a two one lead? What what would you say they need to do a little differently?
2: Well, it's 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 really what they need to not do, which is take penalties. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the crazy thing is, like, any time this series they haven't taken penalties, they've played really well. It was the third period of game one, even though you know Anton Hudobin bailed them out because he was just on fire. Um, it you know the first thing Tyler Sagan said on the off day the other day, uh, before game two or sorry morning skate of game two, um, when he was asked about that third period. Uh, where Tampa Bay really asserted themselves. And he said, well, we just took too many penalties. And then you look at the first period of game two when, you know, Tampa Bay scored all three of their goals that they'd score in the game. Two of them were on the power play. So, you know, if it, it, you just take the power play goals away and, you know, again, uh, that's just that's a big if. That's not how things work. But if you take them away, the Stars win 2-1, right? So um, definitely you have to take the penalties away. You can't do that. Um, and then the other thing is they just need to be – they, they need to be a a little bit more, um, they, they can't be gun shy. Like Alexander Radulov, just for some reason, um, was, was so trigger shy in that, in that game too. He had some good opportunities and he just wouldn't let go of the puck. He wouldn't, he wouldn't just put it on the net. And, uh, John Klingberg to me had the, one of the more unintentionally funny quotes after the game where he was like, to score, you have to shoot shots. And it's like, well, well, no, duh, but also at the same time, it's like the the, the Dallas Stars weren't doing that. And so um, I think they need to just put stuff on net because as we talked about earlier, you have guys like Joe Pavelski and and guys like that who can clean things up on the rebound, who can deflect shots in front of the net and stuff. So you have guys like that. But they can't do their job if the puck never gets around the net. So that's the that's one thing. But but the biggest thing is you got to play five on five hockey. Uh, you can't play with a man disadvantage.
0: Yeah, it's especially when you have a goalie like Vasilevsky. Like it's you got to th- throw it in on him and you know try to get him moving too because he's just so he's so good. He's been a beast this playoffs. I feel like.
2: Yeah.
1: So, so I want to turn away from a from the the playoff series here briefly and talk a little bit about a. This is this has obviously been a unique a, unique playoff experience for everyone. It's been the players are quarantined up in Canada, playing in bubbles. Uh, none of us are able to to attend these games in person. None of us are able to cover them in person. It's been Zoom calls, but but we've also seen almost. A, a slow public reckoning for hockey, but but a little bit of a reckoning with a a lot of the social movements that have been sort of sort of sparked over over the course of quarantine, sort of starting with with the George Floyd protests, the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, and you've been in a unique position, sod where one of I, I guess two of the players on your team, uh, because I believe it was Chandler Stevenson who joined. Um, is that who joined? Tyler Sagan and Nelt, or am I thinking of someone else?
2: I think it was Leonard.
1: So so Leonard was with the Golden Knights. I know that there was another player for the Stars who did as well. Um
2: oh, oh, for the Stars it was Dickinson and Sagan.
1: Jason Dickinson, that's it. It was one of those one of those frat boy sounding names. Um <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get roasted for that comment. But so you've you've had a player who's not just been Talking the talk. I know Tyler Sagan was one of the first players to comment on the Black Lives Matter uh, on social media, but then he's also been walking the walk. He's been attending the protests. He's been, from what we can see publicly, he's been listening. He's been learning. Uh, he went up and talked to to Ryan Reeves before the series against Vegas about what they should do in terms of, you know, did he want to kneel for the anthem? Um, went to the rest of the locker room, stood up and asked who else wanted to join him. Um what's what's that been like for you covering the the social movement part of it, especially in comparison, you said you cover the Mavericks a lot too. Um and obviously the NBA is is miles ahead of the NHL on this stuff.
2: Yeah, that's been uh it's been interesting to see because because I do feel like there is Um, there is a diversity issue in in the NHL. And I I don't think um, that's something that the NHL or anybody should, should run from it. Um, I think it's very, it's very obvious. And like, you know, it's, it's a fine line. So, you know, you can't make people play, play a certain, play a certain sport or whatever growing up. Like, you know, those uh, people make their own decisions on that. Um, I think, you know, when you hear a lot of uh, baseball people talk about the same kind of issue, that there's less people playing baseball, everyone's playing football or basketball or whatever. And so you can't do that. But I do think that hockey could do more um, just to be a little, I I don't think that, you know, everyone has their own experiences. And so I don't think it's always a situation where, you know, every single game, every single situation, hockey is just like, you know, not, not including, um, a certain demographic or things like that. But I do think overall in the general scheme of things, um, I can tell you as a, as a, uh, as a, you know, Pakistani guy, I've, I've never, I've never seen someone of my race at a hockey game, like not, not as a fan, not as a reporter, um, nothing. And, 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 you know, that's not, that's not necessarily the NHL's fault, um, but, but I do think that, you know, there is something to be said, like, why did the NBA grow into th- the diverse way that it did? And the NHL, it's not like they, it's not like they're all just, you know, um, white American guys that are playing hockey. I mean, you have a lot of diversity in terms of, um, all around the world and it's, and it, and it is a global sport. It's a global league. Um, I just think they need to do things, uh, a little bit better, to, to cater to just you know all the different uh, people that that are part of the g- part of the game and you know to go back to bring it back I know I kind of went off on a tangent there but um I, I think you know to bring it back to what you were saying with the social social justice movements and things like that um I think it's I think it's I think it's uh, uh I think it's fine like I, I I think what Dickinson and Sagan for example did was a great thing and was was brave for what the position that they're in and where which league they play in um but i think it's also important to remember that in the again talking about the big general scheme of things and going beyond the NHL like kneeling for the national anthem is is not is not the it is not what the the uh, objective is like you do that because it symbolizes something that's a greater issue which is police brutality and racism and things like that. And, and kneeling for the anthem, like, like, man, Colin Kaepernick did that four years ago. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's great that the NHL finally kind of got going on that, but like, you're kind of four years late to the party. Like it's time to, it, it's time to do bigger things. Um, I like the alliance that they started. I think, you know, that needs to be uh taken very, very seriously. And so I think in general, you just see, You know, whether it's whether it's black athletes, whether it's uh, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's women, um, whatever demographic it is, it just needs to be a little bit more inclusive. Um, And and that doesn't mean that, you know, it's on the NHL alone to create that. But it's more of just fostering that environment so that, you know, people do feel comfortable when when they are around the game.
1: So as a as a South Asian Reporter and and hockey fan, what what is hockey missing to get more people like you to fall in love with this sport? How how do you think what where are they missing the mark there? Because we've talked to, you know, we've heard from P.K. Subban and Ryan Reeves and Evander Kane on what they're missing with with black players. You know, we've heard from we've heard from guys in the European leagues about where where the NHL is still missing the mark when it comes to the way that they treat European players. Right. But we, we really don't get to hear a lot about, and we've, we've even talked to, I've talked to Vinny Henestroza, He's his family's from Ecuador. I've talked to the Ecuadorian hockey team, um, the team that plays down there about what they're missing there, but for Hispanic fans, but where, what are we missing for, for South Asian fans? Like what, what can be done to make it more inclusive? Cause, because it can be daunting, you know, when you show up to a game and you are the only person who looks like you. What? How can they make it more more welcoming for fans who do want to get involved?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and and that's one where you know I, I like like for example like you know within uh, within my family and things like that, I always try to get people to go to hockey games. I'm like I'm like a the official hockey recruiter down here, and so you know I, I'm always doing that. And like the biggest thing that that happens is. You know, there, there's, there's a couple of things in play. One, I think hockey, just in general, is a sport that is one of the best game experiences um, that, that I think exists in all sports. Like, I go to all the home games around here, Cowboys, Rangers, Mavs, Stars, the game presentation and game atmosphere of the Dallas, and, and maybe it's just the Dallas Stars. I don't know that because I haven't been to any hockey games outside of the market, um, they
1: do have a good game presentation. They 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 put on a really good show in Dallas. Yeah, yeah they, for sure. And,
2: and and it almost feels like it, it's the closest thing to like that that um that college that college vibe of a passion for a team, you know. And it's it, it's a lot of fun. So I think that's one thing for the sport. The other thing is, and this is just something that you know I have uh, experienced just very personally. This is not something I can't speak for you know like all south Asians in this and stuff but when i talk to uh, certain family members about going and things like that like i ha- i have some family members who are who may be a little bit more observant and practicing of of culture and religion and things like that and they're just like you know it, it's hard to get the courage to wear the headscarf and go into this big mix of people that you don't know who who at what time is going to like, there's been unpleasant experiences for, you know, I I've seen it with my mom. I've seen it with my sister, um, throughout, throughout, like, and, and not just not, not in hockey, but I'm talking about in society in general. And so it's, it's a very, I I think the word that you used is very accurate. It's very daunting to to think that, you know, you're going to go into that environment. And so it's almost like, but it's like, you know, it's like, if you'd never, if, if, people never go, then how does that change? And that's the, that's the big challenge and I don't know that I have an answer to that, but I do know that you know that's something that that does exist and uh, and I hope it does change. I mean, but I, I'll tell you that it's one of those things where you just don't see um, a lot of uh, I would say you know what not, not even you know whether, uh, people of color of any color of any you know uh, culture, whatever it may be. You just don't see a lot of that at hockey games. And I think, you know, that I think let let me say it this way. I think that if if the entire culture of the hockey experience changes, if there's more, um, for example, Mexicans, Hispanics or uh, black people and things like that going and it just becomes a more generally um, melting pot of a sport that will then get South Asians, for example, to go more because they're not going into one. Um One atmosphere, and I think that's why uh I think if you ask anybody you know it's hard to it's you you don't pay anybody with a broad brush, but I think you know most South Asians gravitate towards basketball so much because it's such a diverse sport, and you'd never feel like you 're alone and so um i don't think you know for South Asians to be welcome, it needs to be something where you know South Asians start going and things of that sort. I think you know if there's more hispanics if there's more uh, black people. If there's more people like that, it just creates a more of a sense of security that you know if we go, then it's going to be okay, especially in today's political climate. Do I, I, oh, go ahead, Kat.
1: I was, I was gonna ask. Do you think? Because I know more teams are coming up with inclusive, and and I say inclusive in sort of tentative quotes here, but inclusive nights, like like Pride Night and Hockey is for Everyone Night, and and Hispanic heritage night and Western night. and Do you think that holding things like that for different cultures and groups that might've been marginalized and excluded, do you think that that helps get them through the door in the first place? Or is that almost performative? Like, do you think that that's a step or do you think that that's not an, like, is it a half step? Is it not nearly enough of a step to get people to come in the door there? Is it, is it almost more performative for the fans that are already there, like for those white fans to show up and listen to some some Latino music for the night or to to wave some rainbow rainbow towels for the night? Do you do you think it's doing enough?
2: Um. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I don't know that it's enough, but it but I also don't know, like what else you can uh, like I, I say you I, what else they can like do you know, you can't, you can't go to people's houses and knock on their doors and drag them to the game. So, you know, they, like, I, I do admire the effort. Um, at the end of the day, like, and and here's the other thing is, is, you know, I can't really speak to the LGBT community. I can't speak for, for women, for, for black people and things of that sort. So I don't know, you know, how those kind of things um, resonate with them, but I will say like, you know, I haven't really been around and seen any kind of South Asian nights or anything like that. So I don't know that that really even, that, that really even factors in. And, and I, I understand it because, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of, it's like your target audience to even, to even pull someone into the door isn't really there in the South Asian audience. So, um, but in generally in speaking, in general terms with all the other demographics, I think it's, I think it's good. Um, it, it's a, it's I, I think the way that you said it half step I think that's the way that it really is. Um, the problem is that when when teams even take those steps, I mean you read the comments on Instagram and things like that, and it's just very disheartening to then see like you know some of the reactions and stuff like that. So um, I, I it, it's a tough one, um, but I do think that the the diversity thing kind of comes again as a whole once you can get one demographic in, another one follows, another one follows, another one follows, and uh, and that's kind of how you grow the sport. Do
0: you, do you think that's, like, also just, like, maybe an NHL marketing thing, too, with the players they market? Like, for example, I, I feel like, you know, P.K. Subban was probably, I, I would argue, for a period of time, was one of the best defensemen, was the best defenseman in the NHL, and he won a, a Norris Trophy. And I just, I feel like the league never gave him the same, you know, like, screen time or advertising as they would with an Ovechkin or a Crosby? Do you think it's, you know, the certain players they pick to market, too, if they change that up, would that help?
2: I think so. And I, But, you know, that exists for – that. that's a problem with the NHL with, you know – well, it's a problem in all sports, in all different kinds of sports. Like, for example, um, Miro Haskin. And, like, there are some people who are just finding out about this kid and how good he is. Um, but he really took the league by storm two years ago. If you were watching hockey games, you know what I mean? So, um, I think the whole marketing aspect is, you know, like for example, with Miro, he's a quiet kid. He plays in Dallas in the South. Um, and so, and I don't think that the extra effort is there to market someone like him. So, you know, when you talk about marketing color, uh, you know, any, any colored athletes and, um, and things like that, um, I think that's where, yeah, that, that could probably help, but, that's a, that's a, that's an issue that kind of exists all around. And I don't know, you know, like, is Sidney Crosby the only one who's going to get like all the shine and now Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon. And it's like, you know, yeah, those guys are very well deserving of it. Um, and they definitely are poster childs of, of that, but l- l- like, let's take it to the NBA for a second. Obviously this is LeBron James's league. Right. Um, and, and this has been LeBron's league for the last two decades. But you look at the way that Giannis is marketed um, and, and, and you know, he's 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 the Greek freak. He's from Greece. And so uh, that even though he's a black player, he's there's still a foreign aspect to that there. And then in Dallas, you look at the way Luka Doncic is constantly hyped up and that's different. And, and so um, I think the NBA does a lot better job of just kind of, you know, going all across and making sure that um, everybody gets some shine. And so um, I think the NHL could do that. Um, but, but I think a lot of the energy is just spent on the few athletes and, and those few athletes, they do deserve it. There's no question about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, yeah, obviously like Crosby and McDavid do it, but it's, it feels like for the past, you know, uh, honestly, since Crosby and Ovechkin have gotten to the league, it's always just been them too, that have always yeah. gotten the, and P- Patrick Kane, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. it's like the same three guys they just cycle over and over again
2: yeah no i i think that is that that's kind of how it's been and, and it doesn't have to be that way like even though the nba has been lebron's league it's not like the nba has ever fallen short of marketing all their other you know athletes from different demographics whether it be you know guys like Christoph porzingis and you know labeling him the unicorn and and creating all this hype for him or you know, other guys like that, you see you see there's a lot of diversity there. And so I think, you know, just because my, my, my point is, like, it, you don't have to take any of the hype away from McDavid and McKinnon to give it to Subban. Like, you know, what I mean, like you it, that can all happen at the same time. It just takes a greater effort from the league. And that's where I think, uh, you know, they can do a better job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're also breaking my heart, bringing up Kristaps Porzingis. I'm a Knicks fan, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's that's a really good point, though, especially when you talk about, I mean, looking at just the guys on the Mavericks, you talk about Kristaps Porzingis, you talk about Luka Doncic, you you mentioned Boban earlier. I don't think I've ever met anyone who doesn't like Boban. <laughs> uh, whether, whether you're a Mavs fan or not, like he's, he's fantastic and he's getting properly marketed I think as someone who's interesting and fun and and you just don't you don't see that in the NHL and I don't know if it is just that that hockey culture of oh we don't want to we don't want to be individuals like we need to be a team or if it's I I don't know how they how they break away from that but that's, that's a very good point. Um, No, but that's,
2: that's a great point by you too. And like, you know, like I was over here just kind of talking about all the stars and Luca and KP, but as uh, you know, a a really good point by you there is like Boban, Boban in, you look at the stat sheet, he doesn't register anywhere in the league. I mean, he's not, (laughs) he's not, he's not a bad player. He, he, he definitely belongs on an NBA roster for sure. Um, but he's an old-school center. He's a big guy that doesn't have an outside shot or whatever. But, you know, he's a great teammate. And the NBA uses that opportunity to market him. I mean, if you were watching the playoffs against the Clippers, they, after a big win against the Clippers, when Luka and KP are the story, the NBA on TNT had Boban for the interview. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they do a good job of making sure the spotlight. And then Bobon of course goes on there and provides everyone just the the best laughs and creates gifts that are just still revolving around you know going around the internet today and so all of a sudden you know he is a household name even though he's not a household name um basketball player but he is a household name teammate so you know I think you like why is it like why is it that it took anton hudobin to make you know a a a, pretty much a historic Stanley cup playoff run for all the shine to come about how great of a teammate he is. He's like, obviously I talked to people from 15 years ago, the guy's been this teammate for the last 15 years, you know what I mean? Um, but, but it never really kind of came to fruition. And I think, you know, that's on the NHL that's on, that's on some of the, the NHL media that covers um, it's a collective effort. And and I think there needs to be more done there and there absolutely is opportunity for that to happen as we're seeing with I think Anton Hudobin who is a great example of that.
1: I think that's that's an excellent point. Um I don't I don't know why they didn't market Anton Hudobin as as this fun just just teammate. I think the NHL loves to do that when they get like they'll market a fun storyline occasionally. Um they'll and they'll beat it into the ground but they don't They don't look at the players themselves like Scott Foster. I think we we read six million stories about this accountant getting his his chance to play in the NHL for 14 minutes. It seems like a nice enough guy, but not not personality wise, anything lasting. And then when it comes to the guys that are actually there day after day and have the fun personality, but maybe maybe don't have the best the best stats like we're just we ignore that. And by we, I mean I mean the NHL. Although we probably could do a better job as as the general media of, of helping out with that too a little bit, I think. Um, but yeah, it's it's getting late. I know I uh, I'm I'm out here on the west coast, um, and you two are farther east than I am. So it's I know that you both said you don't have bedtimes, but. Thank you so much for coming on tonight
0: yeah this was awesome. thank you thank you for taking the time. I hope we didn't uh, waste too much of your time no, for an not hour at all. Now. I,
2: had, I, had, I had a great time and, and it's uh, th- that was a lot of you know really good conversation I'm glad you know all it took was was uh, was a big anton Hudobin feature for for cat to finally um, to finally make the move so um, you know I guess I guess I know what I have to do for the next time I, I want to come on this podcast.
1: You just did have you... to rate about goalies. <laughs> yeah, there
2: you go. Did you did
0: you work the did you go to the Cowboys game on Sunday by any chance?
2: No, I didn't. We they they've cut down the media by like by by a ton. So you know it's <laughs> it very. Like they
0: had a, lo- a lot of people though in that stadium.
2: Yeah, I'm very curious to see what the fallout of that kind of comes about because um you know the, the 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 way not only just the sheer amount of people that were there but then the kind of game it was and the comeback. Um, I doubt there were too many people that were uh at the end of that game who were, you know, in, in control of their emotions and and yeah. were on and things like that. So I'm curious to see what the fallout would be.
0: Yeah, thanks, Jerry Jones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you wanna just before we leave, do you wanna throw out throw out your Twitter handle so our three followers and uh <laughs> listeners know who to follow?
2: Yeah, Saad Yusuf 126, S-A-A-D yousuf U um, F uh, one two six. 2 as you know anybody that follows me on twitter can attest i tweet way too much and too many dumb things but feel free to come along for the ride
0: that's twitter i mean we all tweet very <laughs> we all tweet too much and tweet dumb things so <laughs> solidarity there yeah <laughs> all right uh so yeah thanks for coming on and uh we'll
2: talk to you guys soon Some of Hi Mikey!